Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey everyone and welcome to Our Changing World. Call Alison Balance a ho. Tonight, we're going to head out and enjoy some of the urban wildlife that's thriving in the middle of Wellington City, with a bit of a helping hand from some friendly neighbours. Now Wellington is very lucky to have the Zealandia Sanctuary right at its heart. Since its predator-proof fence was erected more than 16 years ago, native birds have blossomed inside the sanctuary and spilt out into the surrounding suburbs. It's what they call the halo effect. Wellingtonians are enjoying having native birds such as Tui and Kaka back in town, and as a result, community trapping and backyard conservation groups are springing up all over town. Then there was the big announcement last year of Predator-Free New Zealand 2050, an ambitious plan to roll out local efforts and successes like this across the whole country. I thought it was time to check in with two enthusiastic locals to find out how one community is working to protect rare birds in a central city reserve and ask them how they see this fitting into the wider vision of a predator-free New Zealand. Paul Ward coordinates the Pole Hill Restoration Project and Tim Park looks after Wellington's Living City Project and they offered to introduce me to a large kaka family that's been nesting in the Pole Hill Reserve this summer. Now we got up early... In the hope of hearing these birds, and the first thing we found on the road is what? Uh, Looks like we've got a Norway rat about 10 metres from the end of of Holloway Road, which is kind of like a, you know, welcome to the challenges of predator-free New Zealand. (laughs) At least it's dead. (laughs) At least it's dead, yeah. (laughs) Whereabouts are we? Uh, So we're in um, Arrow Valley, which is about five minutes from the top of Willis Street in downtown Wellington. And we've just come up Holloway Road to one of the entrances of Pole Hill Reserve. So Pole Hill's about uh, 70 hectares, which is probably about just under a, a third the size of Zealandia, the um, eco-sanctuary. Which is right next door. Right next door, yeah, which is one of the really uh, interesting things about Pole Hill. So we're surrounded by um, thousands of people. And Pole Hill is probably one of the most popular recreation reserves in the city. So we've got runners, walkers, families, mountain bikers mixing with rare birds that are spilling over from the Zealandia fence. So this year we've been lucky enough to have a brood of five kakachicks nesting in the base of a mahoi here, which we've, we'll go out and have a look at. It's basically a just a big hole in the in the bottom of, uh, of the Mahoi. Well, the remarkable and scary thing too is that we really are only about 30 seconds from the end of the road. There are houses right next door, so I'm thinking cats and dogs. If you look at any one of these animals, like a, like a kaka or a teakia, the saddleback, they face a whole range of threats. Rats, possums, um, mustelids, getting hit by a car, disease, bad weather, um, bad luck, and then cats and dogs would come into that mix as well, so... A place like Pole Hill in the halo of Zealandia is really kind of an experiment to see if uh, if some of these manu taonga, these these rare bird treasures, can uh, can live with us again. So yeah, there's a kaka we just heard now. 
So when we came in last week, the birds were still fledging and they were flopping around in the tree up here. There's one up over there in the pine. There was actually one right on the road, like just flopping around with its mum being fed. Those people who aren't familiar with kaka, they're, uh, they're the bush parrot, and so people might know their cousins, the, the kia, the mountain parrot. Once they're fledged, they've probably got about a week, 10 days, um, and they can start to fly and be a bit more mobile and responsible. But um, in that interim period where they're flopping around like, you know, some drunk clown, <laughs> they're really, really vulnerable on the ground. So um, something like, a, you know, a dog off a lead. We had, uh, was it last year or a year before, in Huntley Park over the other side of San Andrea, there was yeah, a... A baby kaka that was um, mauled by a by an off-lead dog. Most of where we're looking up to now, which you can see, is covered in uh, mahoi and regenerating bush. You see cabbage trees poking up there. Um, this is all regenerating from farmland not so long ago. So, I guess that's one of the interesting things about Polwell as well is that we're not talking about you know a patch of bush that's um, extant or original. I guess what makes it really interesting is that collision between those birds, the rare birds, and uh, and a lot of people using it. So I guess one of what's happened with this project is that that community of people have got together and um, and decided to uh, be kaitiaki and look after what's special that's in here. So, yeah. Oh, there's the kaka through there. Yeah, there's two or three. I think the parents just come in to feed. So if there's another couple there, so we've got at least four birds here now, I reckon. The distribution map of Kaka post-2000, when they were just introduced just after in Zealandia, it kind of looks like a sort of an infection <laughs> growing out from this the centre, you know, across the city and spreading up into um, the northern suburbs and across. And the, the Wellington ones have even been seen as far away as Wainui Mata now, ro- roaming around. Yeah, it's really amazing. Like, you think, they, they say, oh, there's 500 Kaka in Wellington probably and you think well actually there's it's a thousand between a thousand only, and five thousand yeah, estimated to be left, left so, so so we're looking at um you know one of the the, the main extant populations of of kaka in the wild so we have uh, a nest at uh, lone pine which is up at the top of um pole hill not far from the century fence they had one egg in it last year and um, there was another uh, natural nest um in a big old pine stump rotting pine stump that was Probably it was a it was a big pine stump, so maybe a meter and a half, two meters wide. It's a great sound, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's kind of got that old New Zealand uh, echo, doesn't it? I mean, I think the thing to to remember as well is that you know we're five minutes from the top of Willis Street. These guys have been hanging out and above Parliament and you know Cuba Street. We were having a beer down on uh, just off Cuba Street, and one of these guys was ripping into the uh, Banksia tree outside, so enjoying enjoying its nectar on a Friday night as well. Mm. There's quite a bit of damage on the trees in uh, Courtney Place as well, so they actually come down at night time and feed on the set off some of the Chinese elms, so you can see this little scars on the bark, even in um, Civic Square. So it's all really a part of what makes Wellington Wellington now, and so we've just got to really figure out ways to manage it for both for those trees but also for um, the birds themselves, yeah, and the public's enjoyment of, of both, yeah. Beautiful. Look at that. Now that is pretty cool. This is a pair of uh, saddleback. Like, literally there's two, two or three metres from my hand there's a pair of saddleback uh, hopping around in a pine tree. <laughs> wow, it's amazing. And there's a popocatu of uh, whitehead right next to it. So they've got little beaks like a little Leatherman tool, at which they rip into the bark, getting in uh, his... Oh, here we go. 
And good morning to you too. <laughs> Kia ora, tiaki. So we've got a pair of tiaki that are foraging. They've got uh, popokate, whitehead and piwakawaka fantail hanging out underneath them for leftovers. So it's pretty amazing that we're seeing this uh, behaviour because that's something that's, you know, it's a very ancient uh, relationship and we're in Wellington's backyard. <laughs> Kia ora. I had the real privilege of taking uh, Jim Lynch around for a walk, who was the guy who founded uh, Zealandia, to kind of get a sense of what's going on outside the outside the fence. And and he was talking about how the birds that they thought would do okay, like the tui and the kaka, you know, they're, they're doing okay outside the fence. You know, they have their challenges, like don't feed the kaka nuts. Um, um, and I'm sure, you know, just about every Wellingtonian would have noticed that, that uh, like, it's a part of our kind of city life now, these birds... But there was a whole suite of birds that were kind of especially vulnerable to predation, like uh, hihi, the stitch bird, the little spotted kiwi, the tortoise, the robins, kakariki, and uh, tiaki, the saddleback. And they're all birds that, for various reasons, uh, you know, find it tough in the modern world. They either um, spend a lot of time on the ground, they are cavity nesters, um, so, so they're especially vulnerable to, um, you know, rats, stoats, ground-based predation. But the one bird that ha- that has been the kind of identified as the success story of Poho, I suppose, is, is the, the saddleback. So these were birds that were um, like two or three generations ago in the 60s were exiled to one island off Northland. And the uh, these guys, uh, two, three years ago, the, one of the rangers from Zelandia, Matu Booth, was out looking for to see any sign of uh, kakariki outside the fence. And um, just a couple of metres off one of the mountain bike tracks spotted a tiakia saddleback popping into the... Uh, base of a of a um, of a tree, and uh, and that was the first known nest um, in the wild uh, in over over a century on the mainland. So it was uh, it was a pretty amazing story, and there was a lot of lot of scepticism about whether these birds would be able to survive. So when you see this nest, it's a foot and a half off the ground, um, easy. Any rat who was curious enough to get in there, it's just you know it's like breakfast. But um, um, they managed to fledge, and then we followed them for 100 days to, to independence. Uh, one of the chicks went missing uh, halfway through, never to be seen again. And the other guy, um, or girl, um, lost all its tail feathers and presumably some sort of um, attack. Those feathers grew back in, a couple, in about three or four weeks, kind of incredibly fast, and he or she made it. So it was kind of this, this singular proof of concept um, or a possibility that these guys could survive in the wild. So we kind of saw that as, well, if we can do it once, well, then we can do it more than once. And so there's kind of a community formed around looking after these rare birds. And um, since then, we've had uh, tiaki breeding every season since then, and we've probably got, at the moment, around a dozen saddleback in Polhill. And again, it's kind of incredibly tenuous, because for those birds to survive as a population, so if, if you just hypothetically pair them up, like each and you've got six pairs, um, they have to produce like at least a chick a year. So this season we've been following four pairs and we've had was it five or six tubes I think we've found so far and, a ne- and another nest. So we know we're doing enough. So I'm impressed about how many tiaki nests you've, you've still got here. That's really impressive. So what are you doing to give them a hand? So we've, um, we've had the guidance from a few uh, veterans who've docked, people who've worked for DOC and council projects and things. So... We have uh, 130 Doc 200s, which are the the uh, old school uh, snap traps, and uh, and we've got about another 30 Good Nature AU24s, which are the self the new self resetting traps. And there's uh, all the Doc 200s are laid out along the uh, mountain bike and running trails. So 
part of what um, we wanted to do was make engaging with looking after the space accessible to people. So one of our trappers came up with the uh, suggested we use like a pink tag on the on the um, spring bar, the kill bar that comes down on the trap. So if you're um, running or mountain biking along, you don't want to be stopping every 50 metres to unscrew a trap, um, reset it, whatever. So all you have to do is if that pink tag is pulled inside, if it's been sprung, you only, you only have to stop for those ones. So it means you don't have to get on off your bike or uh, stop from your run. So, yeah, so we're trying to make it um, um, accessible to, uh, to people living in the city in 2017. So, yeah. So you've got lots of community support from around here? We've got about just under 50 trappers, um, which is a kind of amazing for a, con- most, a lot of conservation projects are facing problems with getting access to uh, volunteers and to stuff. We've, we've got too many... <laughs> Trappers and uh, and we're feeding you know starting to feed some other projects around the city like one of the mountain bikers is uh, is pushing south further south to the tip so we're trying to support that as much as we can and we've got families public servants mountain bikers grannies mountain biking grannies um, it's it's kind yeah, of a, a session with the running guys last week yeah yeah uh, the Wellington Runners Meet which is a really active community of trail runners they uh, they're really keen to get involved helping out and um, so all they need is. There's a little eight mil ratcheted spanner when they're running, and if they see the traps being strung, they can you know you can never check check a trap too many times. So yeah, so the idea is that we make the trapping accessible, and the good nature traps are kind of plugging the uh, gaps in the gullies where it's a bit harder to get into. So yeah, and uh, so far we've, we, I think when we started out, we were around in terms of um, monitoring rat numbers, we were around 50 percent. We've uh, this is the third year that we've kind of had the um, sustained pest suppression in terms of rats happening. We did our last tracking card survey in, in winter and we had 0% detection for rats, which doesn't mean there aren't any rats here because, we, you know, it's an open reserve. Have you seen one today? We've seen one today on the way in, you know, and uh, we're still pulling them out of the tracks and, you know, we caught a weasel uh, two or three weeks ago. But what it's a really positive sign that, you know, we're helping out. I think, you know, while it's incredibly exciting to be hanging out with this kakafano and, and hearing the tiki coming across the valley, like it is still... You know, you've got to remember that it's over a century since a bird like a turkey has been uh, on the mainland. It's over a century since kaka have been in Wellington. And so these guys are now uh, figuring out how to... Um, they are, and we're having to figure out how we can kind of, uh, you know, people, native wildlife and pets can kind of get on uh, peaceably. And I guess what, what this people involved in this project and the community is trying to figure out is how we can be more um, more neighbourly with our natives and... It's awesome that the tiki have managed to, to breed and to, um, and to fledge and nest, and we know we're doing that well. Um, we don't know how long they're living for. Uh, we, until there's a little bit more research done, we don't know if they're, they're being, if they're kind of pole hill residents or if they're being repopulated through um, birds coming over the fence. So there's still a lot of unknowns. So it's that kind of balance between celebrating the kind of, the, you know, it's almost a miracle that, 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 we're, that we've got these, uh, these birds back with us. And... Um, if you look at that suite of threats that they might face, you know, we talked we talked about them before. We've got um, possums, rats, mustelids, stoats, weasels. Now, um, one of the things we haven't talked about yep. is domestic cats because I've walked around Pole Hill. I've seen several cats wandering around yep. in the reserve. Um, so it's a, tr- it's a tricky question. I imagine it's a <laughs> yeah. very tricky question. We, we, know, um, we know that Tiaki have been brought in by, by domestic cats. So we know that these are issues. The challenge is that um, if you look at those those suite of threats, uh, you know it might get hit by a car, it might disease, bad weather, um, bad luck. What are the ones that we can control? And, and obviously, um, 
the councils, the regional council and the city council have done amazing work um, suppressing possums around Wellington. So that's had a huge impact in terms of, you know, one of the reasons the Tui are thriving is because they don't have that massive competition for food. Um, and the kaka as well will also be the same food sources. The bush, fruit, people's fruit trees are able to grow better. But um, so, so suppress possums. Uh, we can trap for uh, rats and mustelids. So the trapping network that we've had here, which... Um, is designed to, you know, if, if a, a weasel or a stoat got in here, it could cause a, a lot of damage. Like, so we have roaming, we have mustelids that come through, but hopefully we get them with the network. So that's what we're trying to help out with the trapping, is give these guys a bit of a welcome mat, you know, back in the wild again. Um, and the issue of um, this kind of social challenge, I suppose, of dogs and cats is, you know, what, what can we do to try to make it easier for, the, for help out the birds in that regard because in our group if you go and look on the Facebook page there's you know we've got um, cat owners we've got dog owners and what we've really tried to do is figure out how people in native wildlife and pets can get along because it's not either or 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 uh, bird lovers versus pet lovers and it's not we're not going to uh, win this argument by going into a you know an 80 an 84 year old's house and saying right we're taking away your cherished uh, you know family member but it's about awareness and starting those conversations and about trying to get people thinking about, you know, if you're in Pole Hill um, and you've got a dog, uh, put it on a lead. If you've got a cat, put a collar on it, keep it well fed. Uh, if you can, keep it on your property. Um, there's been a few studies done. We had a Vic uh, postgrad student who put camera traps in Pole Hill to see how far the cats were roaming. There were, I think it was over 100 sightings in a month. So, yeah, like you say, there are lots of cats around and they will be having some sort of impact, but until... You know, more research is done. We can't say what that impact is, but in the meantime, I guess what we're trying to do is encourage, like the you know, precautionary principle. And one of the things that Pole Hill's done that's been interesting is kind of we're a you know we're a 2017 conservation project, and so a lot of our those conversations are taking place online. We've got a, a Facebook group that has uh, nearly 500 members, and and there's some pretty uh, robust discussions around things like cats and dogs and. It's an ongoing challenge, but it's an incredibly rewarding one. And I'm sure everyone in the, um, who's involved, whether uh, they're trappers, tree planters, we've partnered up with the, um, with the mountain bikers who uh, built most of these trails to plant rata, what else would we, uh, koi koi, matai, matai um, hinau, tawa. So planting back these other species like koi koi and tawa and matai and rata and rimu is what we kind of are trying to recreate that kind of natural um, setting but also the natural processes associated with that so it's not just we're trying to go for pre-human forest here it's um, about going forward not looking back yeah exactly it's um and these are you know these are urban kaka they're urban tier here and they're the 21st century uh ancient birds <laughs> tim i'm really interested where does all this fit in both the idea of maybe a predator-free wellington and even broader than that a predator-free new zealand Pole has been a really great example of um, how the community responds to managing reserves in a in a basically in a urban context, and Pole Hill is one of about um, 50 odd groups that we've got across the city now doing uh, pest animal control, and there's around 140 odd groups in total in Wellington doing restoration work, which is huge. So we've um, actually been really um, struggling to keep up with the enthusiasm from people like Paul and so we've got a team of rangers that supports uh, their work through providing plants and you know general helping with you know deliver traps and things like that and training and all those kinds of things that go with having a community group but in the last few years there's been a real change um, where we've had predator-free communities spring up 
And also Greater Wellington has been doing um, a massive amount of work in the rural areas throughout the Wellington region. So they've got a, a rural possum and predator control program. But they started off the back of all the work to control possums uh, for TB um, as TB vectors. What happened then was they pretty much got rid of all the TB in the region. And said, like, well, what are we, we going to do now? Should we just stop this and, and basically if it comes back, we'll we have to you know, reset the clock again and spend the same amount of money? Or do we just keep investing a little bit of money and maintaining that uh, at a large landscape scale? So we have seen a massive um, biodiversity response as a result of those large-scale initiatives across the region. What the sea change has been has been you know, collective action, people working together to do it. And so that's the real change that's, that's happened, is that you have individuals doing their own thing that are kind of almost out on a limb. But now there's a whole community of support that's coming around and um, actually just changing the, changing the nature of our suburbs. Predator-free New Zealand, what do you think? So predator-free New Zealand, I mean... It's going to be a huge challenge. So here in Wellington, we're looking at a, a few different strategies. We've got um, a possum-free Miramar, which is a great start. Um, so we're looking at um, what we might be able to do in Miramar to eradicate rats. Um, and that's a huge challenge. Um, it's a big job. At the moment, you have these green dots like Pole Hill. And mm-hmm. it's a case of if you're going to make Wellington predator-free or New Zealand predator-free, you have to start scaling up. So yep. you move... It's about connecting those green dots. It's about scaling up and making your green dots bigger. Absolutely. So in Wellington, we're in a really, basically, in a really good position to start thinking about even thinking about predator-free because of the huge amount of work that's gone on in reserves to reduce basically the possum numbers down to really low levels, and also rat numbers. I think they're around just over five percent rat tracking and across the whole city. So that's pretty good, and that's our first time we've even done a, a tracking done and monitor properly. What, we've got those reserves going. We've got these um, amazing groups looking after reserves like Paul and Pole Hill, and we've also got the backyard stuff really just moving through Wellington like a wave um, with groups establishing and trapping in their backyards. And then this whole the, the rural area under sort of large-scale control as well. So kind of these big pieces are coming together. The real sort of challenge for now is thinking about eradication, not just suppression and, and changing the mindset. What does actually eradication mean? And it's, it is getting rid of everything. And so how do we do that um, effectively and also have plans like we do for the possums in Miramar if there is an incursion, what's our response? And how do, we, how do we manage that? Or how do we have monitoring in place to actually pick these things up in a living, working, playing landscape? And so that's a challenge that we haven't really tackled before at the scale, in my understanding, anywhere in the world. A big thanks to Tim Park, Environment Partnership Manager at Wellington City Council, and Paul Ward from the Pole Hill Restoration Group. And that's the show. But you can listen to that story again... Check out Tim and Paul's great photos of Kaka and Tiaki and find a link to the Pole Hill Restoration Group's Facebook page at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. There are also links to our many features on predator-free New Zealand from the last few years. Don't forget, we're on Twitter and Facebook at RNZ Science and you can send an email to ourchangingworld at radionz.co.nz. Thanks for listening. But for now, it's good night from me, Alison Balance, Paul Marier. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 